Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Good morning, everyone. I was glad, I was wondering if you'd remember what I said last time. So that was a, a nice greeting. And good morning to everyone online. Good morning to Balam. good morning to Bastie, and good morning to Westside. Uh, my name is Phil, if you've not met me, uh, you're not missing out on too much, so don't worry. Um, thank you very much. I was like, will they say anything? Um, <laughs> And it is my privilege to finish our series and continue our worship this morning looking at the book of Jonah. In week one, Mike talked us through the background of Jonah and introduced us to the runaway prophet. In week two and chapter two, Andy walked us through Jonah's prayer of humility and surrender in the belly of the fish. And last week, Christine walked us through God's forgiveness and mercy and mission around the Ninevites. So we are going to pick up in chapter 4, immediately after the oppressive and unjust Ninevites have been responded to God's call through Jonah for forgiveness, promising to change their ways, um, a wonderful, unexpected turn of events. Um, And as we get to this final chapter in the story, um, I'm very pleased to tell you um, that I've been studying some Hebrew, um, and for the first time I'm going to bring you my own translation of the text. Exactly. Um, It's called um, the Phil's Expected Translation. You could say it's my pet project. You love it, especially you at Battersea. Um, So we're going to have it on the screen there. Um, I'm just going to read out. So this is uh, Jonah 4, verses 1 to 3. It says this, And God's forgiveness of Nineveh pleased Jonah, and he was joyful. And he prayed to the Lord and said, How wrong was I, Lord, when I was still at home? In fear for my own life, I nearly forestalled your love and grace by fleeing to Tarshish. I'd forgotten that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And therefore now, O Lord, let me worship you all the days of my life. For the good news of your love and grace is the reason I live. What a beautiful prayer from Jonah at the end of this story, building on from that repentance in the belly of the fish. And this morning, there's just three things I'm going to draw uh, from this wonderful, wonderful story. Um, this is awkward. Mike's, Mike needs to talk to me. So I'm just going to step away from the podium, something... Very awkward's happening. Really sorry about this. Just stay here. Okay. Okay. Not everything goes to plan on the Sunday morning. Um, so I've just been informed that my my translation is a little off. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to presume it's just a couple of sort of accidental Hebrew words. I, I've got what? No, it's completely and utterly wrong. <laughs> Okay, this is this is awkward. They're insisting um, that I'm going to read it again in a in a in a t- normal translation. 
Um, let's, yeah, let's, I mean, if only there was a side-by-side -side comparison. What's that? We have a side-by-side -side comparison. It's very convenient. So let's try take two, okay? Take two. Jonah 4, verses 1 to 3. Let's see if you can notice some differences. But God's forgiveness of Nineveh displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste in flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Yeah, I need to do some more Hebrew. Um, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of who knew already that the first reading was wrong. But hopefully that's just a nice little illustration to see how completely unexpected this end of Jonah is. It's actually probably one of the most unexpected endings of the stories we have in the Bible. And therefore, actually, what it gives us is an extremely rich place to continue to explore the nature of God's grace. So here is our questions for this morning. What is happening in this ending, and what does it teach us about God's grace? What is happening in this ending, and what does it teach us about God's grace? Four things to cover as we close this series. And the first thing, honestly, it shows us is this, is that our sin and rejection of God is often deeper and easier than we realize. Our sin and our rejection of God is often deeper and easier than we realize. So let me show you what I mean. To understand what's happening here in Jonah chapter 4 and his reaction, we have to see what his reaction reveals about what is lying deep within his heart. Jonah isn't just upset at God's mercy and his grace for Nineveh. He's furious. And he's not only furious, but he asks God to end his life. He says his life is no longer worth living anymore. It's pretty powerful stuff. And just let that sink in for a moment. How on earth can Jonah respond to God's act of grace and mercy by seeing his whole life as pointless and no longer worth living? Jonah didn't react like this to God's forgiveness of just anyone. It was God's forgiveness of his country, Israel's most mortal enemy. Mike laid this out really well for us in week one um, when he said, I won't steal Phil's thunder and went on and stole my thunder. <laughs> but actually it was a blessing because now I don't need to go into it. But I really encourage you, go back and listen to that if you want to have it really well laid out just how corrupt, how evil, how violent Assyria, of which Nineveh was a capital, really was. They had a history of doing it to everyone, but particularly to Israel, which was Jonah's nation. And Mike opened the door in week one to maybe something funny is going on here. In one, chapter one, we do not know why Jonah ran away from God. But it wasn't, we found out in this chapter, because he was scared for his life. It was because he was scared of what he thought God would do. This chapter says outright in verse two, this is why I ran, because I thought you would forgive them. And what's being shown here is buried deep in Jonah's heart, beneath the life he'd led as a prophet. He was a prophet of God. 
beneath even the apparent prayer of repentance and surrender in the belly of the fish was a very self-centered and self-serving image of God. It shows us he believed in a version of God that was for Israel, but definitely not for anyone else, and certainly not those who would harm Israel. It was a smaller version of God whose love and kindness was for the Jewish people, but only the Jewish people. It was deeply possessive, and it was ultimately about Jonah. And crucially, though, Jonah had built his entire life and meaning on this image of God. And once that image had been broken and shattered, his life was now pointless. This is a really dramatically told and important message of this chapter. And the truth is none of us are immune to it either. The scriptures have a number of images, really powerful image, about how deep the power of sin and evil and our rejection of God is in our lives. How they turn us away from his kingdom to build our own kingdom rather than build his, just like Jonah. The writer of Hebrews in the New Testament writing about the Christian life here and now implores us to throw off everything that hinders, the sin that so easily entangles. That phrase, so easily entangles. I wonder if Jonah knew how entangled his sense of national identity and self-focused religion had become. There's another really humbling image as well from earlier in the biblical narrative, recounting the run-up to what is the first murder in the Bible, the murder of Abel by his brother Cain. The author writes that God said this to Cain just before the murder. If you do not do what is right... Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And then thirdly, Peter in the New Testament picks up this very same image in his letter to the Christians living after Jesus had returned to the Father. And he said, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. These are genuinely humbling, powerful images. And I think Jonah 4 tells us that Jonah, whether he knew it or not, had allowed this evil through sin to devour him from the very inside, the core of his life and his view of God, trapping him in something less than what God wanted for him and for the world. And so I submit to you this morning that we are not immune from this challenge. And one thing, the first thing we want to take away from this really shocking ending of what the author was trying to communicate is that our sin and our rejection of God and evil is often deeper and easier to fall into than we realize. But there is one important turn now that we always have to remember that Scripture never ends on a note of judgment and conviction. Never. It always then brings immediately that sense of God's action, God's redemption, and God's grace. We are never left helpless in the face of these threats. So Jonah 4 then moves on and tells us three more things about the beautiful nature of God's grace and how it was shown to Jonah in this moment, in this place he was in of such extreme rejection of God. The first thing it shows us is that God's grace is relational. He speaks to Jonah in verse 4. Um, and he doesn't come down immediately after those verses that we share. He doesn't come down on Jonah with anger. He doesn't show frustration at Jonah. 
He doesn't express disappointment or rejection, but he speaks to Jonah and says, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? And I think what he's saying is, Jonah, what's going on? Talk to me. Because he primarily isn't seeing Jonah for what he's done, but for who he is, his beloved child. I'm going to show you a picture. Um, it's Rembrandt's painting uh, of Jesus' story with the prodigal son. And it's the moment when the son, in his own deeply rejecting way of the father, returns home. It's the picture of the embrace of the parent to the returning child. And this is a picture of God's relational grace in response to our sin and rejection. You may know the story well, you may not. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to step away from the podium again just for 30 seconds, and I'm just going to let you look at that picture. And if you want, invite you just to ask God to show him something afresh about his relational grace, and then I'll come back. Amen. So that's our first thing about God's grace is relational. The second thing is that what Jonah 4 shows us is that God's grace is extremely practical. Um, in verses 5 through 9, I think there's going to be another image on the screen. There's a funny little back and forth between Jonah and God where Jonah sits under a tree and makes a shelter to watch what's going to happen to Nineveh. And God at first provides him with a leafy canopy to shelter him from the sun. And Jonah becomes happier. Um, and the next day, God then kills the tree. And Jonah becomes extremely angry again to the point of death. But again, John, John, sorry, God asks Jonah the question, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah says, yes, of course it is. And God says, so Jonah... You're telling me that it's okay for you to really love this plant, even though you didn't create it. But it's not okay for me to love these people in Nineveh who I created, who I want to be saved from sin. It's a really amazing and really, really personal discipleship lesson from God. And I think what God is trying to do here is reach out to Jonah again in his grace and explain his grace, but in the most practical of ways. I think it's really easy for us to think about God's grace as a characteristic of his or a theological concept of which it is both and forget that his grace is worked out in our lives in extremely practical ways. So let me show you again something that may help. Um, for the artists among us, you got a painting a minute ago. For the engineers, here's a practical model. <laughs> it's called the, the Golden Triangle. There it is. And it's a really, really helpful summary of the ways the Bible seems to communicate how God uses life to reach out to us and to form us through his grace. I'll be very honest, I think here at V61, we're really, really good at that top one. We were doing it um, in our services, the movement of the Holy Spirit. And some of us do those things, those practices that help us intentionally find space to become aware of God in our lives. Prayer, scripture, coming to church, fasting, journaling, life groups. 
But to me, Jonah 4 is highlighting maybe that neglected corner, those unplanned life events. So my question for us around this is, are we open to the ways God might be working in really practical life ways to show his grace to us, to reach to us, to comfort us, to teach us? Whether it's through our children or our interaction with our flatmates, whether it's that difficult meeting at work or that neighbour in need, whether it's our delayed buses or our financial difficulties, whether God is creating these situations or not, God can and wants to use these experiences to connect with you and I in his grace, because his grace is so down-to-earth and so practical. So that's the second thing we're seeing, that grace is practical. And the third one, this, is that God's grace is invitational. As well as being this example of practical grace, the tree chat is an example of Jonah being invited to become like and understand God. These are the words in Jonah verses 10 uh, to 11. He says, as I paraphrased a moment ago, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Question mark. What the author is doing here is showing God explaining to Jonah. He's connecting to Jonah. This is who I am. This is my heart. He wants to see Jonah forgiven because God fundamentally loves them as he does Jonah for who they are, not what they've done and their moral corruption and fallenness. And their animals. It's a nice little addition, which I won't get into. But God is sharing his heart with Jonah. He's asking Jonah, can you see it? And he's highlighting where Jonah is not currently thinking and feeling as God does. So let's finish the chapter now. How does Jonah respond? Does he say, yes, God, I understand this now. Help me change. Or does he say, I'm not interested. I'm still not interested. So let me go back to my pet project one more time. Uh, And here's my translation of verse 12. And what's that? Oh, there is no verse 12. (laughs) If anyone knows any good Hebrew teachers. Because there is no verse 12. This is the end of the book. We are not told how Jonah responds. The question is why. And the answer is probably because at this point in the story, the author, as they do with all the biblical scriptures, they're not only history and teachings from the history of our faith that we try to find some meaning on from the past, but they are written, collated, and shared through history so that we can engage with them now for our growth, our discipleship, and our understanding of God. The author is ending here because they are saying, hey, you know all this time when you've been following Jonah's story and what God has been doing? Well, now it's your turn. I think God's unanswered invitation to Jonah to truly understand his grace becomes the invitation for you and I to do the same. Jonah's unanswered invitation 
sorry, God's unanswered invitation to Jonah. To truly understand his grace becomes an invitation for you and I to do the same. I'm going to invite the bands up now, Daniel Battersea, here at Balham and Rachel and Westside, as we draw this Jonah series to a close. At the start of the series, Mike labeled Jonah the anti-prophet, who does the opposite of what a true servant of God's grace is called to do. So is this the point of Jonah? Is it a moral cautionary tale for us to do our best to avoid? It is not. Jonah, along with the entire Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, exists to point us forward to someone and something greater. You see, it goes a little bit like this. Where Jonah, God's messenger, ran as far away from God as he could, Jesus, God's son, came as close to us as he could. Where Jonah built his human life on a God serving his own purposes, Jesus laid down his human life for the will of the Father. Where Jonah unwillingly spent three nights in a fish as God tried to reach out to him in grace. Jesus willingly spent three nights in the grave, reaching out to defeat the forces of evil, sin and death. And where Jonah was so bitter and angry at those who had killed his fellow Israelites. Jesus on the cross was so full of love and grace that he said, Father, Forgive them to those who are killing him. You see, Jesus is a prophet of grace that Jonah couldn't be. Jesus is the relational grace of God who comes to us even when we were far from him. Jesus is the practical grace of God who came to earth in human form to establish his kingdom. And Jesus is the invitational grace of God who offers offers us a chance to be formed into his disciples and help build his kingdom on earth. Yet, like the book of Jonah, this teaching series will end with a question. (laughs) What will we do with that grace? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.